Welcome to the New Providence Presbyterian Church podcast, where we will share our messages from our weekend worship services. We hope these messages will inspire you and challenge you in your walk with Jesus. The um, chorus line to that song has haunted me for about 20 years. It's a Jars of Clay song that uh, I don't think it was ever actually put on an album, but it's uh, on YouTube, on the internet, and... Um, John did that song, first time um, uh, for Thomas Hare's, before I spoke at Thomas Hare's funeral, and then again um, before I spoke at Jake Tooley's funeral. So uh, two sons of this church who, I was there when they gave their lives to Christ, um, did their funeral here in the sanctuary. John did that song. I've run across things that those two guys and quite a few others have written over the years, but especially for those two, I called their moms and told them I was going to send them the applications for mission trips and other things that they had written even back in junior high, clearly stating that they had given their life to Christ and who he was in their life and um, made sure they they knew they were coming before the mail was sent. And when you think about it, what is more important than that? You know, that our sons and daughters would give their lives to Christ and beyond a shadow of a doubt, we would know that and celebrate that and support that over time. And there are not just those two. There's actually four students that were involved in the high school ministry here that are buried out back from the time that I've spent here. So the lines of that song have meant a lot to me, but also really haunted me, and I appreciate John doing it this morning. Um, I have really wrestled with what to share this morning, and, um, and you know, uh, about four, five, six months ago, when I knew I was leaving, I asked Jeff if I could preach three times. So I'm on New territory for me. I've never preached three times before in 45 years of ministry. Um, And today is the third. And I figured I would find three killer passages to go after three things that I really wanted to go after. And and those three topics were, uh, two weeks ago I shared, ten times I've seen God show up big of many. And last week, I shared a kind of a foundational message about youth ministry as we wrap up the first quarter of the 21st century and head into the next quarter. Um, And then this morning, I just really wanted to preach the gospel a little bit. So instead of three uh, passages, um, I was reading a little bit later in the passage from Daniel that Audrey preached on a few weeks ago and found a verse, and so I'm spending the last two weeks and this week on the same verse. Only in the Bible could you spend three weeks, let alone you could spend a lifetime on one verse. And the verse is Daniel 4, 3, and here it is. How great are his signs, how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. 
And the amazing thing of that verse is it's not from some prophet out of the Old Testament. It's out of the Old Testament, but not some from prophet. It's not from Daniel, not from some follower of God at all. It's from a pagan, nasty king who had no clue. And then he encounters the power of God at work in Daniel and some others' lives, and he's like blown away. And he gets it, wham, like that. And he lays it down. So if a, if a pagan king can discover and articulate the truth about God, what about you and me? You know, And who is he? Who is this God? The uttered statement from King Nebuchadnezzar out of Daniel 4, 3. How great are God's signs. How mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an eternal kingdom. His dominion endures from generation to generation. So this morning I want to share just a couple of thoughts about the kingdom of God. Kingdom of God is referenced a lot in the Bible. It's spoken of often in the Old Testament. Jesus speaks about it a lot. Paul goes after it. And the question is, what is it? You know, and I I would commend to you that searching out what the kingdom of God is and whether or not you are in it, because not everybody is. He doesn't force everybody into the kingdom of God. You would think everyone wants to be in the kingdom of God. You would think everyone wants to go to heaven. But that clearly is not true. And God being God, being not the bully that, that Satan is, being very much a gentleman Jesus is, he stands at the door and knocks and invites. He doesn't kick it in and grab you by the back of the neck and force you in. So not everybody goes to heaven, not because God doesn't want everybody there. Not everybody goes to heaven because not everybody wants to. He gives us free will. You are not a robot. So what is it? And are you in it, which by the way, and I'll probably say this again in a minute, but nobody gets to say whether or not you are in the kingdom or not but you. Only you can determine that. And I would suggest the place to figure out what that even means is the Bible. Because again, the Old Testament, Jesus, Paul, the Gospels, very clear, very, very clear. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is a place where God resides in power, 1 Corinthians 4. There is power there, and it comes from the fact that God is there in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is a place of righteousness, peace, and joy, Romans 14. Righteousness, peace, and joy. And that's a great indicator right there. When you look at your life so far this weekend, this past week, so far this summer, in 2022, as we've come out of the crazy time of wearing masks and hiding in our basement, interacting with other humans on the internet, it's ridiculous, is righteousness, peace, and joy a marker that describes your life? Or is it not? If it's not, it's questionable whether or not you're residing in the kingdom of God. Because... According to Paul in Romans 14, the kingdom of God is a place of righteousness, peace, and joy. 
kingdom of God belongs to the king, and the king is Jesus. He was very clear about that. Jesus claimed to be the king. Jesus claimed to be God. And that's what got him killed. He wasn't killed because he walked on water and went to a wedding party and turned water into wine. He wasn't killed for so many things he said and so many things he did. He was killed because he was an affront to the power structure of the day, both religious, especially the religious power structure of the day, and the political. And they thought, conspiring among the two of those political forces of the day, that if they killed him, that would be that. But of course, that was not that. Because it's very well documented that although he was dead, he walked out of his own tomb. Now, he's the only one to ever do that, to walk out of his own tomb under his own power. Others came back to life in Jesus' day, but it was by his power. So he clearly has power over death. Jesus claimed to be the king of this new kingdom that was being set up. And of it, he says, my kingdom is not of this world, not of this realm, he says, John records in John 18. And notice he says his kingdom is not of this world. He does not say that my kingdom is not in this world. Jesus' kingdom has been brought here into this world in which you and I reside. And by the way, which you and I belong. You do not today, at least right now in this moment, we'll see about this afternoon, but hopefully not this afternoon either, belong in heaven. You don't belong in heaven. You're not waiting around you and me to be where we're supposed to be. We are supposed to be here on this planet right now, operating within, within this body, which is most miraculous. And so here you sit, and I've said this a million times to the kids. They could quote this back a thousand times, but it's still mind-boggling to me. You're sitting on a rock, twirling around in outer space, around a fireball, exactly the right distance. You're sitting there chilling, listening to me, and everything's cool. Everything's fine, you know? Now, either that just happened, according to my biology books back in college that some gases got together and evolved into Mike Flavin and giraffes and stuff, or an intelligent being described in the Bible made it so. I choose the latter. I think it takes way too much faith to choose the former. You know what I'm saying? And so here we are. And, and within this, this world, God, through Christ, is creating his kingdom in this world. And it exists in heaven. May your kingdom come here on earth as it already is in heaven. How many times we've prayed that, the Lord's Prayer. The kingdom of God resides in, is in heaven and he is bringing it here and establishing it here on earth. The kingdom is here, the king is here, and he is playing offense. He's on the move. And one of the reasons, and, and don't take any pride in this, I don't, but us collectively as a church, one of the reasons Amy and I have stuck around here for three decades is because it was very apparent to us from the very beginning 
that this church isn't playing games. I had no appetite for that whatsoever. I think religion is a dirty word. I loved the church as a kid. I grew up a choir director's son. I always liked the church. It, 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 was, it was a good place to be, even though I had no youth ministry in the church I grew up in. I've loved the church. Um, but I'm not into religion and church games. And when it came to trying to get ordained, it just, it drove me crazy, you know? And there's so much about religiosity and denominationalism and churchianity that just, I just didn't understand it and I don't like it. And I feel like part of my calling was to explain, um, to unpack the goodness of the church, of the body of Christ to, to teenagers, that it is good and it is important and it is the, the kingdom here on earth. And there's so much of the trappings that are nonsense. So forget about that. Off topic, but it's one of the reasons my home presbytery in Minneapolis, where we're about to head to, never did ordain me. I got up to the end and they go, you went to a Baptist seminary. You didn't play, they didn't say it this way, but you didn't play our games. So adios, amigo. I had passed all the exams, done everything I needed to do. And they sent me off to California unordained. And the story continued from there. <laughs> so, the kingdom is not all that. But it does involve the church. And the church is beautiful. It's a body of Christ. It's a bride of Christ. And he's building it. And Avadi says this, On this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And we've seen the gates of hell try that. And it's taken people out. And there's been moments. But the Holy Spirit ruled the day. The, the Spirit is stronger, and we've seen that. And Amy and I thank God for this church, because you're just not playing games. And, and it's interesting that over the years, not all of you were here 32 years ago, um, but... Uh, along keeps refreshing new people that realize we're just not playing games here. The stakes are high. And life is short. So Jesus is building his church and incredibly he includes us. Here's a verse I ran across this week kind of getting ready for this morning. I, I don't remember seeing this verse. It's in Luke 12. And it's a comfort. And I appreciate it. And it's this, Jesus saying, do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen, and he inserts this word, gladly, not out of duty, gladly, to give you the kingdom. The father is choosing gladly to give you the kingdom. Not to just insert you into the kingdom and sit there and be quiet and do what you're told. Obviously, there's obedience, but that's not the essence of this verse. He has gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. And then this. I, this is out of Matthew 16. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. He's speaking to you if you've given your life to Christ. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. And again, 
church, I've seen you take that verse serious. I shared last week that there's so many things about Christendom up here in North Jersey that I still don't get. I shared last week, how could it be that here we sit in the largest, most densely population of teenagers in America with the least amount of youth ministry? How could that be? How could that be? There should be dozens, if not hundreds, of student ministries like we've had the privilege of laboring in together here. And in Minnesota, Texas, California, outside Chicago, places I've served and been, um, there are, but not here. So again, we don't take pride in that, but the time is now to continue on this journey. And Jesus says, I will give you the keys of the kingdom and what you do here on earth matters. Matthew 16. And so we pray. It's the prayer that Jesus taught us. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done here on earth as it already is in splendor in heaven. And we go. And we take the great commission serious. To make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything Jesus has commanded us. And surely he is with us all the way to the end of the age. And as we pray, and as we go, we must take Jesus' admonition serious. And this one, this one is like, I don't even have a word for it. This verse that I'll share with you, I mean, here it is. Jesus says, if you're going to come after me, if you're going to be called my disciple, if you're really going to consider yourself a follower of me, here's what I expect of you. This is like, I don't know, like if you're going to join the Marines, it's all in. If you're going to be in the kingdom, you can't say to the king, well, let me get back to you. I'll see. You got to listen for the voice of the king and then you obey it. And if you don't, here's what Jesus says. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Now, there isn't one of us here that wants to do that. In a narcissistic age, deny yourself. If you're going to come after me, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross daily cross as a death and torture machine. Take up your cross daily and follow. And follow. We live in a postmodern culture, postmodern world. I decide what it's going to be. And I'm very capable of doing that, thank you. I have computers. I have knowledge. I have education. I have a doctoral degree. I can, I can take care of this. And we live in the quintessential culture of that up here in the greater New York City area. The sharpest of the sharp are here. And we take care of business. But Jesus says, listen, if you're going to be my disciple, let's don't play games here. 
You need to deny yourself, take up your cross daily, die to yourself, and follow me. Bonhoeffer says the call to follow Christ is a call to die. That's what it is. And he's not making you. He stands at the door of our hearts and knocks, and you can tell him to go away. He is not the bully here. Satan is, but he's not. And few are those that say yes to him. Looking around this room, a majority of you, if not all of you, have said yes to him. And it has been a joy and a privilege to be co-laborers with you. And so, Mark 1, 25, Jesus says this, the time has come. The kingdom of God has come near in the person of Jesus Christ. Repent and believe the good news. And nowhere is the ending of that verse, of that statement by Jesus, more profound and memorable than right here. Last hour, we baptized as a church two sisters who meant it. They're involved in our ministry here, a rising sixth grader and a rising seventh grader. And they're serious about it. They're parents were standing right here. They requested this. And the power of baptism is just that. It's powerful, man. Jesus was baptized. And John, his cousin, recoiled, and Jesus goes, John, you do this now. And, and that, you know, the dove comes down. I mean, that lit him up. I baptized as a baby. I appreciate my parents choosing to do that. Freshman year in college, went forward at a Billy Graham crusade, had my hair grown out way out here, big bushy beard, and I found a pastor that would baptize me in a lake kind of near where we're moving in Minneapolis. And my mom was sitting on the shore, and I went out, had a white robe on, <laughs> which was, and went down under the lake, came out, and my mom said, Mike, you look like Jesus walking out of the, <laughs> out of the lake. And I'm telling you, my life was lit up, and, and the traje- that began the trajectory. You know, the power of baptism, of being down under the water, which is symbolic of death. I, was, I looked alive before, but before Christ, I was actually a walking, spiritually dead person. And then up, born again. You know, like Jesus said to Nicodemus. Spiritual rebirth, a cleansing of the soul is what this sacrament is. And then to come over here and to take a seat that has been afforded you by Christ's death and resurrection. None of us deserve it, but we don't want to say no to him. If you've given your life to Christ, there is a chair here with your name on it. And it would be rude of you or me to say no to his invitation, to sit at the chair. And the pastor that was here when I first came, um, Ben Patterson, he used to call this like the hors d'oeuvres of what is to come the banquet, where I will sit and look across and see, see you. And I don't overdo it like that. But I've said that to the kids here. Like, I'm going to come looking for you. 
you know? And that is our destiny, that in Christ, our eternal salvation and life with him is secure. You can never, ever lose it. And so we come and we celebrate the death and the resurrection of Christ here. I think, I don't know, in the 200 and whatever years of this church, this is probably the first time we're going to, or we did do last hour, baptism and the Lord's Supper back to back, boom, boom, like that. And to have these two sacraments is such a privilege in the church. Governed by the elders, they approve things like this and consider it seriously, that people mean, mean it and have given their life to Christ before they enter the waters. And permission to have communion. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for your ultimate gift of your son Jesus. Father, you are so generous so full of grace and mercy and love at the center of it all. Jesus, powerful, establishing your kingdom. Thank you for your church, for your bride, as you nurture it, as you protect it. God, I thank you that this has been a place that's been serious about you, Jesus. There's no pride in that. It's with all humility. We are determined to live into those verses that I've shared today. And we're determined to share the good news to the next generation and the next. That our sons and daughters, that our grandsons and granddaughters, and on through the generations would continue to reverberate the good news. And that they would discover it and that they would request to be baptized and to take their place around the table. Holy Spirit, we give ourselves over to you fully for what lies ahead in Christ's name. Amen.